0: Good morning. morning. As Jim pointed out, this ain't no Travis. All right. So Travis is in Texas. I believe it's a minister's workshop down there and he'll be there, uh, I think, through most of this week, but I'm assuming back on Wednesday. Um, But uh, that gives me an opportunity to come and, and spend some time with you guys. And I always, always enjoy that. It's one of the things I enjoy about my work uh, here at the church, but um, thank you for coming. I'm glad you're here. I want to open with a prayer, and then we'll begin our lesson. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the sunshine outside. We thank you for the fellowship uh, that greets us when we walk through these doors. Uh, We thank you for the friendly faces that we see and uh, those that we've got history with, those that we know um, for years now. And then we thank you for our visitors, our guests, Father. Uh, It's always exciting to see new faces, always exciting to know that the boundaries of our kingdom are ever expanding, uh, that it's not just us here in Maryville at this church, but this morning um, Christians across the world come together to celebrate, to break bread, uh, to hear from your word, to petition the Father, um, to, to shout and sing in joy of the reality of our future hope. In Christ's name, amen. So this morning, um, I, I don't know, I, I don't know if I got any excitement from anybody in class because we discussed hermeneutics, which is just, I got to tell you, I would have slept through that class myself. Um, if, you, if you get the bulletin and you looked at today's class uh, or today's sermon, I think it's something like the challenges of change. So hermeneutics and change all on one Sunday um, may not have a job after this is over with. Uh, but we'll see. I've got my resume. If you come forward, I'll give you some copies. You can hand those out for me. Uh, but we are going to be talking about change this morning and, and uh, the challenges of change and and what that is. A um, couple things. First of all, the elders did not put me up here to teach towards change because they're planning some big change, okay? So just sit back. That's okay, all right? We're not going to rock the boat this morning. That's next week. Travis gets to do that. He gets paid the big bucks. Um, I'm really just wanting to talk about change and how we handle change, how we handle that, how we process that, and kind of how we view it. A couple things to, to consider. First of all, change is not like a door switch or a light switch. Sometimes we think change is just, it happens, like dramatic change. You know, you walk in, the light goes on. Well, that change occurred. Uh, so I want us to think about change a little differently. For a while, okay? So let me give you some vocabulary that I want you to carry with you throughout the morning, okay? Um, If you've got teenagers and you walk in and you say, get up off that couch, all right? That's change, all right? They're probably not going to respond, all right? They might even transfer into a reclining position. Get up Are you kidding me? All right. Uh, Change usually gets instigated by a sense of urgency or a challenge or maybe conflict brings change. So same scenario, teenager on the couch, I run in and say, get up off the couch, the house is on fire. The kid gets up, right? There's a sense of urgency. Or try this one, get up off the couch or give me your cell phone. Conflict brings change, okay? So usually change just doesn't happen. If you walk into a situation and and there's change, there's something driving it. A couple years ago, you could have pulled up and seen signs on the door, church closed. Now, if you lived in a cave and you showed up and you saw the church closed, you'd be like, what in the world happened here? But if you weren't living in the cave and you saw COVID rising and you began experiencing death in your community... And you were watching any kind of news, then you were not surprised when you came to the church building and found the doors closed. That was change, but urgency drove the change. Okay? Notice that change is not an instantaneous one event and done. When we experience the urgency or the conflict, and we experience the change next, what follows is transformation. The transformation is the process that comes after the change, but not quite before it's complete and rooted. In other words, we detach, but before we reattach, there's transformation. So think about the detachment from being here in the building. How many of you kind of like, oh, some of you like, woohoo, sleeping in? All right. But how many of you are like, oh, I miss seeing my family I miss Jim Hafer's song leading I miss our preacher I miss the youth group I miss I miss that's the in-between that's the transformation and then eventually after several months maybe you became attached to the video services we did some things differently we had different music playing in the background you remember the different songs like oh I really enjoyed that worship Of course, and then there was the guy that did the communion thoughts. I know you were excited to see him, right? That was me. You've already forgotten. You're like, oh, I missed Bert's communion thought. So there was reattachment. So we detach later on to attach. And in the middle is transformation. But once we reach attachment, we can now begin to grow again. Okay. So you've got this conflict or this urgency leads to change, but we go through the process of transformation so that we can eventually get to growth again. That's change. That's healthy change. There's also unhealthy change. Okay? You know this one, go back to the teenagers, get off the couch. No sense of urgency, no reason why, just conflict driven. That's not a healthy way to start change. The transformation looks like me prying the child away from the couch. Get outside. You spend too much time indoors. Okay? That's not bringing transformation. That's bringing conflict. And at the end of that, there is no growth. There was no time for transformation. It was just obedience driven by change. We don't handle change well like that. Okay, as a matter of fact, I don't like change at all. And the older I get, the less I like it, okay? I got two pillows I'll sleep on at home. Don't bring another pillow to my bed, okay? Pillow one, pillow two, I know right where they go, those are the most comfortable pillows for me in my house. I don't know what's getting, I don't know if it's me. I've got one blanket I like, okay? It stays folded at the foot of the bed. My wife is very tolerable. Like that's the blanket I like. I'll toss and turn on any other blanket, but that's my blanket. I don't, I don't know what's going on, okay? Shampoo bottles in the shower, driving me crazy. Why do we got to have so many? I only need one, all right? But we got 20. That bothers me, okay? There was no sense of urgency in bringing that new flavor in, all right? These are conversations I have with myself, not with my wife, all right? But I don't like change. I started uh, I started working with teens almost thirty years ago. Okay, I started bus driving teenagers in the early '90s. Okay, that was the day. They get out of line, you'd be surprised how far I could throw the back of that hand. You know, not anymore. All right, I remember a school that I taught in in, in uh, West Memphis. Arkansas, right? It's not West Memphis, Tennessee. It's West Memphis, Arkansas. That's the armpit of the United States. That is a rough place to live, but we actually paddled students at that school. That was like 94-95. Can you imagine bringing a paddle to a school today? Things have changed. Things have changed in how you deal with teens. Things have changed in student ministry. The way I did student ministry 15 years ago when we first got here, kids were just learning to text. A competition might be, spell the word dog. D-O-G. Who's the fastest? They were wicked fast. I'd be like, D. Uh, oh, but they were there. All right, they could text under the table holding a conversation. All right, Now we don't even have to do that. We can just talk to it. All right, social media has exploded, change. Every time I want to reach a kid, there's a new avenue, a new way. I read a book recently called Canoeing the Mountains. In Canoeing the Mountains, it's about the Lewis and Clark Expedition, and they're trying to find a waterway from out east all the way uh, across America, basically. They're trying to find waterways that will travel through the United States so they can get to the other way. And eventually what they did after chasing the waterways down, they found themselves to be at the foot of a mountain because that's where the water comes from, right? You know, we know that now, they didn't know that. But there they are at the base of a mountain with a paddle and a canoe. Guess what? Conflict, challenge, urgency, obstacle. They could give up and go home, say, hey, we couldn't find it. Or we trade our canoes for backpacks and we start climbing, right? So change is on us. And what I want us to do today, I'm not not pushing for a particular change, by the way. Okay, you're not gonna find me Uh, instigating a specific agenda, I just want us to talk about how we can process change. Because in our church, in our culture, change is happening so rapidly that by the time you think you've adjusted to what's new, it's already changed. I'm using the word change too much. Okay, I've got to reel in on that. But that's how quickly culture is adapting to new situations. And you can see that. Just watch our technology come through. I mean, who would have thought that the rave would be battery-operated cars five years ago? Battery-operated cars, cars that drive themselves, okay? I used to do that. I would sleep. I usually ended up in the ditch, all right? But now, you can let the car do it. That's how fast things are occurring. And because of a culture that is changing so rapidly, it is appropriate for us to go back and look at change and say, how do I respond to that as a faithful Christian to God? How do do I absorb all of this that's coming at me without getting angry and throwing shampoo bottles out of the shower, right? You've done that, Somebody else, anybody? Okay, maybe not, all right. But how do we absorb that change? How do we absorb that transformation that's coming our way? We have to do that. And today's culture is is going through that. So I want to give us just a a few examples where we see this transformation in process. So um, I'll I'll give you several texts you can go back and look at. But go back and look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I show you. Talk about change. Can you imagine that? Somebody coming and telling you, leave Maribel." Move out of greenback, all right? Nobody leaves greenback, right? God, this is greenback. We stay forever, all right? But that's the kind of transformation, that's the kind of change that's being put in on Abraham. And he does. He says in verse two, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. There's the urgency. Change because. Move because. That's the urgency. It's not quite conflict here, but it's still urgency. And off he goes. And then there's the transformation. And you follow Abram from Abram to Abraham as he leaves. And then he gets side-trailed because there's a, a famine in the land. He ends up in Egypt. He tells his wife to tell the rulers, the, the pharaoh, that it's, hey, you're my sister for this case because I want things to go well. He does that a couple times. Does that sound like a real great guy? Ladies, how many of you have husbands that would be like, I'm going to pawn you off this week because it's inconvenient. All right? I don't want you ruining my game plan here. I'm going to Walmart. I don't want them to think we're attached. You go down the food aisle. I'm going to the hunting section. All right? That's Abraham or Abram, and this is is who we start with. So we notice the challenge, we see the change, and then we see the transformation. And we get to James chapter 2, verse 23, and James says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. So here's Abraham. Faced with change, a sense of urgency leads to the change. He spends all that time in transformation, trying to figure out what to do, even to the point where he may have to sacrifice his own son. But in the end, he stands as a friend of God. So we see the challenge, we see the change, we see the transformation, and we finally arrive at growth. That was not a two-week timeline. Somewhere in the text, Abraham's 75 when he gets the call. He's 100 before his son comes, all right? And he's still not settled. And he has to get to his, the end of his life. And then 2,000 years later, we finally find out he was a friend of God. Because that's the way his life had begun to develop. You know, let's look at Moses. All right, so you've got Moses and, and oh, goodness, the journey he's on. Right. He he kills a, a, an Egyptian. He runs off. He becomes a sheep herder or goat herder or whatever he's herding out there. And then there's the big bush moment, right? And the bush fires up, and God says, "Guess what? It's just it's, it's the same thing. Go." God tells Abram to go. God's going to say, Moses, go, free my people. And what's the urgency? I've heard them crying. They're being abused. Save my nation. Set my people free. So the urgency leads to change for Moses and the nation of Israel. Now let's talk about transformation. Uh, one author said, you, you know, it took a couple of years to pull Israel out of Egypt, it took 40 to pull Egypt out of Israel. And the transformation looks like 40 years in the desert. While Moses is learning to govern, while Moses is learning how to communicate and rule over a very honorary people. And while he's writing down the commands that God's given him. And that's the transformation. Transformation for the nation of Israel. Transformation uh, for Moses as well. uh, Exodus 3 verse 7. I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying. There's the urgency Now Moses, go. You you have to change. You can't stand out here and hide in the wilderness herding sheep for your father-in-law. It's time to go. And so he goes. And then, what's the growth? There's that transformation. You kind of follow Moses' life all the way through the text. We get to Deuteronomy. I love this section. Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. Since then... No prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power of performance, awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. It's not a bad way to end it, is it? The funny thing is. Church tradition has Moses writing Deuteronomy. It would be like Bert at the end of his life. And Bert was awesome. Who did such deeds as Bert? Not in all the land. I I probably have one of those written somewhere. Um, I like this one in Jeremiah. So this is going to fast forward a little bit. And we know Jeremiah, that's that time period where Israel and Judah have separated, they've fallen apart, they're a disaster. The change is needed. They're in captivity, right? We've seen them in captivity before. What does God do? He always does what he does, which is rescue and save. And so we find ourselves in Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Look, an army is coming from the land of the north. A great nation is being stirred up from the ends of the earth. Can you feel the urgency? Jeremiah is saying, hey, guys, look, there's an army coming, and it's going to destroy you. There's the urgency, isn't it? That would get me motivated. I might start thinking about things differently. We have heard reports about them, and our hands hang limp. Anguish uh, has gripped us. Pain like that of a woman in labor. Do not go out to the fields or walk in the roads, for the enemy is at hand. That's the urgency. Jeremiah 6.26, now here comes the change. Oh, my people, put on sackcloth and roll in ashes. Mourn. With bitter wailing as for uh, as for an only son for suddenly the destroyer will come upon you. That's the change. What he wants is transformation. I don't want you just rolling around in the dirt yelling and screaming. I want you to be my chosen people. Unfortunately for the nation of Israel there's not a great ending. We never get to look back and say, Oh, they finally got it wrong. No. It took the coming of the Son. Think of Christ. Throne rooms of heaven. Father comes to him. Our world's broken, son. Things have got to change. Our world's broken, there's the urgency. Things have got to change, means I need to send you. Transformation from birth to resurrection. 33 years. That Christ is transforming into the sacrificial lamb. And then the growth. We're the growth. We're the abundance. We're the crop of that investment of that time. We own that. And that's kind of what's going on. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him my, uh, before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me, Before men, I will disown him before the Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to turn a man against a father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own house. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives me, uh, and he who receives the one who sent me. Here we are. What's the conflict? We're lost. We're away from the Father. What's the change? We draw near. What's the transformation? Bear your cross. Claim me. What's the growth? Mature discipleship. Love one another. Love God. Serve others. Rejoice in the kingdom and the hope of tomorrow. That's the trajectory of change. And so we can see change, and there's lots of examples. I mean, you could look at Paul and his his change, his transformation. Uh, He gets that same thing, Acts chapter 22. Now go, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Boy, that'd be some transformation, wouldn't it? hanging out with all your, your Hebrew Pharisee buddies. And he says, now go play on the B team and love it. And then here we are, the Gentiles again. Um, we kind of go through that uh, in, in, in ministry um, constantly. I'm aware that what I'm trying to do in ministering to is probably about two decades old. I have to ask myself, and how I'm ministering and what I'm ministering to, is that even a church that exists today? I know we don't think of ourselves as changing, but the church changes. Okay? The, the way that I engage you, for right, right now in this, in this auditorium, I think there's five different generations represented. Where's my Gen Z? Raise your hand if you're a Gen Z. Actually, they won't raise their hand. Okay, just give me a head bob. Okay, we got a couple of headbots. Gen Z is sitting in here. If you're the great generation, we're talking World War II people, just let me know you're still breathing. we got a couple of you. All right? And then we got the baby boomers, and then we've got the 80s crowd, the 90s crowd, then we've got the 2000. we got five different generations. And I'm usually ministering to my generation because I know how my generation thinks. If I want to reach you guys, I play some 80s music in the background, right? Okay? If I want to reach the next generation, I change. The truths don't change. The text doesn't change. The Christ doesn't change. But my approach to ministry sometimes reflects who I'm working with. For the Jew, I'm a Jew. For the Gentile, I'm a Gentile, right? Paul would do this when he enters into a community. Oh, who am I talking to? Okay, now I know how to talk. What language do I need to use in this context oh uh, it's a different language and so this change or this transformation that we're trying to get through so that we can get to growth is a great thing but there's a difficult part in all change and that's that transformation block and that's where I want to sit just for a minute because it's not just change in the text it's change in life let me give you some changes you go from single To married to maybe (laughs) happily married 15 years in you know that bubble between zero and 15? there's a lot of transformation going on there isn't there there's a lot of growth going on in there there's a lot of scratching head what is she thinking and the wives are like I know what he's thinking for us it's a mystery the ladies know okay Uh, childless to having a child. Think about the transformation of those first three years. Everything they need comes from me. And then suddenly one day they find the snack drawer all by themselves. And then you got to clean up after them, but at least they're no longer yelling for snacks every 15 minutes, right? Those are funny. Think about death. The urgency, the loss, and the year or two or five. That's the transformation to the point where now you can reflect back on that and remember with joy. I remember those days. How rich it was. What a blessing they were in my life. And then there's that transformation part. In ministry for me, there's realizing that something needs to change. The change and the reattachment to the new change. Okay, that was the old model. It wasn't working. I really liked it. I was fond of that. Oh, I got to let it go. Get here. Not really sure about this, but it seems to work for the young people and their families. I want to embrace this. I want to encourage this. Oh, I kind of like it. There's the attachment. Then there's the transformation. And this is the oh, I missed that. Oh, I should be doing that. Oh, Back and forth back and forth back and forth that's the 40 years in the desert whatever the change is there's the transformational element that gets us from detach to reattach that's the difficult journey and so I want to talk to us just a little bit how do we do that because sometimes change is brought on by me I recognize something I realize it's going to be difficult um, you know uh, buying a new vehicle I love my car I love my truck it's breaking down all the time there's the urgency right but I really like that car man it's great it looks good on me it's the 1980s right what could go wrong and then there's the new car and you get the new car and that's the new there's a little bit of excitement there but it doesn't quite do like the old one does or it's a little different color it wasn't da 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 but pretty soon you're reattached it doesn't take long really with a new car right that new smell oh I'm reattached all right but there's that transition part that hard part how do we deal with it that's that's me i i brought that change on but what about change that's imposed you know what about change that comes and i didn't want that change i lose somebody i lose a job i didn't want that and i've got to take a while to find a new job and then i got to get attached to the new job and pretty soon okay i like my new job okay Or a role change, or a life change, or a loss change? What do we do with that in the middle, the transformation? Because the first response is, I hate change, and anybody that made me do it. I can keep that up for a little while, but that's exhausting, all right? There'd be a lot of people I didn't like. You made me change, right? Remember those moments? Okay, what do we do in the middle? So here's the best I have for us. This is the best I can give you for handling the transformation in the midst of change, whether we bring it on ourselves or it's brought to us because of urgency, okay? Because I can kick and I can fight and I can yell and I can team up. Who wants to be on my team? This change was wrong. Who wants to be on their team? They don't know about it, right? And so we begin to, that can happen. You know, think of your families, you know, ever align yourself with a kid, mom's on one side, hey, come here, this is why my idea is better. Don't tell her I did that. Okay? But we do that. We begin. How do we handle that change during that transformation? All right, so Philippians 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from me or from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the others uh, but to the interests of others. Your attitude should be that as the same as should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that was above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you catch that? the change from the Son of Heaven to Earth. Then there's the transformation to death, resurrection, glorification. Every knee bows. What did Christ do during transformation? The mind of Christ says humility. The mind of Christ says, others before me. The mind of Christ in change is patient, self-giving, loving, submissive, self-emptying. So Jim comes in. He wants to change things up. We don't see eye to eye. I can fight him on it. I've been lifting weights. I haven't. I haven't at all. He'd probably win, okay? Or I take on the mind of Christ. And when change is over and it fails miserably, because it will, I'll stand back and say, see, no. I take on the mind of Christ. And I say, Jim, how can I help? What can I do to serve? How can I help the transformation process? And in the meantime, I grow into the likeness of Christ. I wanted to talk to us about change because there's a lot of change going on. Our culture's changing rapidly. There are things being thrown at us in our context and culture that I don't agree with. Now I'm not asking myself to agree with those things, but I am asking myself to put on the mind of Christ in those things. There are things that are coming so quickly and transforming us that weighs my spirit down, and it's heavy. And I'm looking at a mountain, and I've got a canoe. And the mountain's not going to go away. I have to learn how to minister in my new context, in my new culture. I have to learn how to raise godly children that are Gen Z, because they don't look anything like the children of the 1980s. I mean, we wore different clothes. Cool clothes, right? But you get the idea. During that time, it's this mind of Christ that helps me navigate forward so that I can get to the point where I eventually get to where growth can return. Because I believe we can have great Gen Z Christians. I believe God can do that transformation. I don't understand it, and I don't know it, and I don't always know how to best to to minister towards it, but I know God's working in it. And so, in the meantime, I take on that mindset of Christ. And our church is going to go through changes, and the culture is going to go through changes, and our lives are going to go through changes. And we can dig in and fight, or we find that mind of Christ that helps us navigate the transformation so that we too can begin to grow into the likeness of Christ. So that when we arrive at the, at the pearly gates, Christ says, I know that guy. He's got the same mindset I do. Come on in, bird. I know it wasn't easy for you, Bert. I know there were difficulties and there was a lot of change you had to go through. Oh, my goodness. The whole COVID thing. Wow. You know, but that's how I want us to do this morning as we wrap up. I know some of you are going through change. I don't know if you're resisting the urgency right now. It can wait. Maybe tomorrow. I don't know if you're in the process of the change and it's incredibly difficult. Or I don't know if you're in that 40 year journey where you're in the desert trying to figure out how to get Egypt out of the Israelite. But you're in that part of it and you're, you're starving for transformation. Or maybe you're at the point where I'm ready to experience the growth. I've been through a long journey. I'm ready to grow. The transformation in that part of my life is complete. As Christians, we live in transformation. Our growth is on the other side in heaven. We grow as, as we go, but the final. And the change started, hopefully, for a lot of us earlier on. In the meantime, we don't get a free pass. You know, we're, we're drawn into the transformation. So uh, as we stand and sing, if, if you're in the part of that change and the process and, and there's something we can do or pray or say for you or with you, we would love to do that. So please come and, uh, as we stand and sing.